make sure you like, subscribe, and hit that bell icon. talk with Freema on this great hump day Wednesday. I hope everybody's having a great work week and we'll continue to have a great work week. Remember what we always say, it doesn't cost a thing to be kind. Compliment somebody. Make somebody day. You never know how somebody's feeling on the inside. So today we have on a special guest, Gary Gillum, and I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right, but I'm pretty sure he'll correct me on it if I'm not once he come on. He is a former Seahawks NFL football player, 49ers um, NFL football player, and he has a plethora of other things that he's doing from mentoring our children in the community and so forth. So without further ado, let's meet Gary. Today was great. You know, we had all the seats filled. Uh, shows that the community is interested in what we're doing. Um, they've got input. They've got questions. They've got recommendations. Uh, it was tremendous. You know, had a lot of good insights from, from old and young. Um, it was just really good to see. And Eco Village is just kind of a name that we've uh, tagged onto the bridge. And within the bridge, there's five different branches. There's work, eat, live, learn, and play. Um, and that eat branch is what really makes it into an eco village. Uh, at least the eco sense of it. The solar panels, water collection, a bio-waste food digester that actually allows us to bring in fresh food waste and convert that into nutrients, as well as energy for the entire operation. Um, so a lot of technology that's out there, we're just utilizing it now in some of these older historical buildings that are in places that can reach a lot of people. We're actually you know, looking for young entrepreneurs. Um, that's what we're looking for, those people who don't necessarily have the environment or the resources to come design or, or start the business that they want to. This is a space for that. Um, there will obviously be you know, spaces for homeless and, and, and felons, albeit to, to be able to train and, and make trades themselves, but that's not what it's pivoted around. There'll be spaces for them, but it focuses on you know, young entrepreneurs in the community, um, but then obviously providing resources for everybody. The former Bishop McDevitt is going to be our pilot model, our site one. That's the bridge, Eagle Village. Um, and there, our biggest hurdle right now is just trying to get the uh, fire suppression system handled. So anybody out there, if you got any plugs to the fire commissioner, if you guys want to volunteer some time or ability to you know, help us tap with that, um, that's the biggest thing now. And then once we get that up and operational, then it's just going to be a matter of, I mean, it's a school classroom already. So in terms of co-working spaces and office spaces, it's already set for that. Um, so then we'll be able to open it. I'm, I like to say by the end of uh, quarter two, about a summer, uh, be able to get some people in there doing some of that co-working stuff. Now the rest of those phase, uh, that construction tier will take a bit longer, but I'd say within within 15 months, you could expect the entire eco village to probably be up and running. You know, unless there's you know hold up for construction or permitting or zoning that may you know cause some delays. We'd like that to get done sooner than later. You know, people need help yesterday. Hello, how are you today? 
Hello, hello. I'm sensational. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking. So I appreciate you coming on to talk with us today. You know, uh, with Let's Sit and Talk with Freeman, we like to talk to individuals that can possibly motivate others, um, learn from each other, because I think a lot of us learn from each other. So for the ones that may not be so familiar with Gary, and did I pronounce your last name right? Is it Gilliam or Gilliam? Gilliam. Gilliam. I do apologize. So <laughs> can for the ones that may not know you, can you give us a little background on, on you, Gary? A little background or a lot of background? A lot of background. Give us all. Give us all you got. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, that's where I was born. Not raised, though. Um, was kind of raised by a single mom. Uh, our situation as a family was actually so bad in terms of being below the poverty line. It actually qualified me to go to a private boarding school called Milton Hershey School. Uh, and that school was actually founded back in 1909 by the great chocolatier Milton Hershey. Uh, him and his wife actually couldn't have children. So they founded this school um, called the Hershey Industrial School for Boys. And, and that's what the school was just for little white orphan boys up through the 60s when black males were admitted, through the 70s and 80s when females were admitted. And by the time that I went in the late 90s, it was no longer just for orphans, but again, for families that were below the poverty line. Uh, so this is a completely cost-free boarding school. You live on campus, school is taken care of, clothes, food, everything. Um, so I actually went to the school when I was eight years old and I had no idea that I was going to the school actually. Um, me and mom, we pulled up and mom was like, hey, you know, go play in the playground. I'm gonna go inside the student home, sign some paperwork. I'll be right back out and we can head home. So mom goes inside, I go play, she comes back out. So I hop off the swing to go get in the car. And she's like, oh no, Junior, you know, keep playing. I gotta go around the Founders Hall, sign a bit more paperwork, I'll be right back to come get you. So I'm like, all right, cool. You know, no no reason to think otherwise. So I go, I'm playing, uh, you know, it starts getting darker and darker and darker and mom didn't come back. Uh, she left me on the playground playing. And then Mr. Noggle, who turns out he was my house parent, uh, he came out, God bless his soul. He's like, hey, Gary, you know, it's time for you to come in and shower and get ready for bed. And mom had always told me if if random people you don't know come talk to you, go the other way, especially if they're talking about showers and beds and stuff. Right. So I hop off the swing and take off to where mom said she was going to be at. And Mr. Nago, he's chasing after me. He's like, hey, no, Gary, like, you know, this is this is your family. Like, we're your family. This is your home now. Like, you know, your mom signed you over to us. This is where you live. And I was like what? Like eight years old. Yeah. Confused, as you, as you could imagine, just confused. Like, did I, did I do something wrong? Like, you know, I don't, why didn't my mom tell me what was going on here? Right. Well, as you could imagine, very tough for, for a, a parent to talk to right? yeah. yeah. in a situation like that. But anyway, uh, literally that first two years that I was there cried like every night, mm. you know, fucking holding a picture of my mom and smelling a perfume box. Like, just missing my family, missing being home, still confused, not really understanding why I'm here. Um, and I got tired of being homesick, right? So luckily the school offered a ton of different co-curricular and extracurricular activities, definitely sports, right? So I did ice hockey, soccer, swimming and diving, football, basketball, track, baseball, you know, through my years of being there. But then they also offered some pretty cool things like ballet, jazz and tap. Right. Okay. I did that for, for 10 years. I learned how to play the piano and play the guitar. You know, I was involved in choir. Um, and, and this was great for a kid that wanted to distract themselves from not being at home. Right. Um, right. So it got to the point where about fifth or sixth grade, 
uh mom had dropped me off i was i still i, I still did see my mom right i saw her on the weekends okay holidays right it wasn't like i never got to see her again so i still saw her so one of the times that she was bringing me back after visitation hours you know she was like hey uh you know at home we're, we're good now like you know i've saved up some money you can you don't need to be at the school anymore if you don't want to be right and, and and I stopped and and thought, you know, the last two years of all the tears of myself, yourself, yeah. mom, I and talking to people and trying to figure out why I'm here. Like I'm at this school for a reason. Like right. we're poor, <laughs> and and Harrisburg doesn't have the resources that this young child needs to develop into what he's supposed to be. Right. And you recognize that, mom. So so thank you. I'm not putting it. It's not going to go for granted though. I'm staying in the school. I don't want to come home. Wow. And and mom was like, you know, it kind of shook her a little bit. And I think kind of to this day, she feels like she missed out on a lot of my childhood, mm. uh, especially because of that moment. But, you know, I realized that what was going on in that in that time was going to pay off tremendously, right. not just for myself, but possibly for my family, too. Right. Um, so an amazing school, to say the least. Right. Completely cost free. You live in like mansions. They pay for your clothes, your everything. And then uh, when you get into high school, it goes back to like it's trade trade school roots in a way and that Milton Hershey in the deed like he really understood that the the skills will pay the bills right so when you leave this school we need you to be certified in a trade right uh whatever it is you're interested in we're going to provide that certification program so it's called the continuing education program at the school at least it was when I was there I'm not sure if it still is or not but things like carpentry automotive uh agriculture health occupations business graphic design drafting culinary arts drama like all types of things and in order again for you to get your high school diploma you need to get nationally certified in your trade amazing um, because once you get your diploma that then qualifies you for the continuing education scholarship which means that whatever university college trade school you get accepted to the school will actually pay for the entire thing except for two thousand dollars okay i mean you can't beat that like crazy right and, and, and I, I like mom yeah i'm staying at the school what do you mean i'm not leaving staying here and no one in my family had ever graduated from high school let alone gone on to college and got college. paid for yeah. right you know so an amazing school to say the least and while I'm at the school, I'm curious, like, you know, where the rest of these campuses at? Because the school to this day actually has the second largest educational endowment of any, even even college and university, second only to Harvard at $17 billion. <laughs> that's amazing. And that's wowing. <laughs> you can't so, use that what that what that showed me was that you can definitely be an extremely profitable Fortune 100 company, but then also have an extremely well thought out in perpetuity type give back to your philanthropic arm right. in, in a school right especially hunkered down within education since 1909 like not, not what like it's still up and running today still there yes with an endowment of 17 billion dollars it's not going anywhere anytime soon yeah <laughs> wow. um so i was always curious like where are the where, where are the rest of the campuses but then moreover like where are the rest of the corporations that are building towns like the town of Hershey? Like what Milton Hershey realized was that it wasn't just enough to create this chocolate factory, right? A place for his workers to work. Mm -hmm. But in order for them to really be efficient, self-sufficient, buy into this, this synergy, this village he was creating, he needed to create places for them to eat, live, learn, and play, right? No, no surprise that that's the model that I, that I you know, pulled into the bridge. 
Um, he created Hershey Park, Hershey Theater, the Penn State Hershey Medical Center. Like everything you want is in that town. And then to this day, right, it has yielded some of the highest property values in central Pennsylvania, some of the highest disposable incomes, some of the lowest cancer rates, the best ranked public school in the county. Uh, so he set up a town, right. getting around his workers, providing resources for them in every place that he needed right there. And then a microcosm of it was the school, which then uh, aside from just building these spaces, he created this, this culture, right? Mm -hmm. And at the school, it was called the, the whole child experience. And what that meant, right, embodied on our basketball team, we called it the whole man concept. And what it was was, cool, you play basketball, but what are you doing in the fall? Right? right. Are you playing football? And what are you doing in the spring? Are you playing baseball? Then beyond that, whole plan. that was number one, right, three-sport athlete. Then number two, right, the same attributes that are making you a successful athlete are the same attributes that will make you successful in the classroom. And we're not just going to talk at you about that. That is the standard. We don't mean just getting C's or B's. Like we're striving for a distinguished honor roll. That's the standard as an athlete, most certainly. Two, number three was your spiritual wellness. Right? Are you taking care of your spiritual wellness? Are you involved in the spiritual programs of the school? Are you a junior chapel leader? Are you doing meditation, Tai Chi, right? Are you involved in that way? That was number three. And then number four, right, which really laid in for me a lot because as that eight-year-old that was scared and confused and crying every night, the other kids in my home were actually in, in high school, didn't offer any help, right? They're kind of just like, you know, get over it. You'll be fine. Like, you know, no, no type of guidance through this, through this situation. So number four of the whole man concept was your community involvement, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you learn how to navigate through this school, through this world, through whatever it is you're doing. Can you make it palatable enough? Or are you giving that back to the rest of your community, right? So right. those are the four things that created this whole man concept, the whole child experience, as the school calls it at Milton Hershey School. So amazing. Wow. Like, and then I ended up graduating from the school, but I did not use my uh, continuing education scholarship because I had earned a full scholarship actually to play football. Okay. So I'll pause there. That's like the first chunk of my life, like my right. school. I don't know if you have any specific questions before I go to Penn State. <laughs> no, I'm enjoying it. I am enjoying it. Keep it going. Keep it going. I'm enjoying it. Right, Did you cool. start now when you said, I know you mentioned that, you know, you learned to play the piano, you know, you did a, a lot of sports and everything. Did you think football was going to be that one that you went out with a bang? You know, did you know football was going to be that for you? Yeah. So I actually had interest um, in baseball. I was getting scouted by the minor leagues. I was a pitcher. Uh, and at the time, I think I was about six, five or six, four throwing about 94, 95 miles an hour, right, as a sophomore in high school, which is significant. So I had looks from baseball. I was starting to get some scholarships for basketball, getting scholarships for football. So I really had a choice of which sport that I wanted to lock in, track. I had qualified for nationals and track and javelin. Um, but for me, it was like, all right, which one do I, you know, my body, if I got taller than 6'6", six, six, I might have went with basketball. If I was shorter than I am, I probably would have went with baseball or track. But like, the way my body filled out and how I grew and matured, just it was fit for football, you know. Okay, okay. So, I, I kind of wanted to know that because it seemed like you're very talented in multiple um, sports. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> um, so carry on. Look, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> yeah, hey, lock in, lock in. I'm with it. So uh, Penn State. Um, so before I got to Penn State, right, I had a, a few different scholarships. I had partial scholarships to Harvard, Yale, Princeton. 
uh, UVA. I had scholarships to Ohio State, Clemson, Stanford. Um, but I had some requirements for, for where I wanted to go play college football and study, right? Well, one, it had to be fairly close to home, right? I had been away from home for 10 years at this point. Right? I need the family to be able to come see me at least a couple of times, right? right? So fairly close to home was one. Two, um, I needed a chance to make it to the NFL, right? As much as I would have loved to go to Princeton, Harvard, Yale, like they're not churning out yearly, you know, tons of NFL players. A few make it here and there. I actually played with one in San Francisco, Kyle Juszczyk, who uh, I think he went to Harvard. And now I've actually met a few other athletes that went, you know, to those schools. So I, I think I might have vibed with them a bit more than I thought I would at the time. But um, beyond that, uh, wanting a chance to get to the NFL, I needed, which is the most important, I needed my degree to mean something. Right. Uh, I couldn't be going, you know, shade definitely to places like Ohio State where, where the football players are like, oh, why am I here to take classes? I, I thought I was here to play football. Eh, not the right culture that I, that I need to be in. I would love to go somewhere else, right? So Penn State was close to home, is about an hour and a half away. It turns out yearly, multiple NFL players. And then the, and the third one, right, my degree, there's this cool thing that the coach, Joe Paterno, had established that still stands true to this day called the Grand Experiment. Mm -hmm. right? And what it what it is is that not only will Penn State every year be a top 25 football school and come tear you up on the football field, but we're also going to graduate over 90% of our athletes, right, second only to Stanford in top 25 football schools on average, Um and we'll be academic All-Americans and academic All-Big Ten players, right? Not only are we top athletes, but we're top scholars. Right. That resonated with me, right? That was very similar to the whole man concept that I had growing up. So certainly Penn State was the environment, the culture that I wanted to immerse myself in. Absolutely. So I, I went to Penn State. Um, and while at Penn State, I triple majored uh, in business, advertising, and psychology, right? I figured they're paying for it. So I'm going to max this thing out. So every semester I took as many classes as I could. I was there every summer session, all summer. So literally like for four and a half years was just year round school and football. <laughs> um, but I did have some extra time, right? It was my um, red shirt freshman year. So my sophomore year, I had a pretty bad injury. It was mm. Penn State versus Iowa, October 2nd, 2010. <laughs> um, it was just before halftime. I was going down the field to lay an extra block and, and my footing wasn't completely like in the ground properly. So my weight shifted the wrong way and my knee ended up hyperextending. Um, so I ended up tearing my ACL, MCL, meniscus, part of my patella and had three bone bruises because of the way my knee had bent. Wow. Like, a pretty bad injury to, to say the least. Um, <laughs> and it was supposed to just be two surgeries, right? Mm -hmm. One for the MCL, meniscus, patella, wait about a month, month and a half for that to heal up a bit and then do the ACL because that was going to be another nine months of recovery. Mm. So I was already in for, for a long recovery. Um, now in between those two surgeries though, I developed a staph infection in my bone marrow. Oh goodness. Oh yeah. So then I had to get emergency surgeries, actually three different emergency surgeries because it kept coming back. Mm. Um, just the worst, like, excruciating pain constantly couldn't bend my knee couldn't straighten my knee couldn't sleep uh having to take crazy pain pills just to just to be able to try and sleep just to try and do rehab at the time i was only double majoring not going to class anymore so now i'm not playing football i'm not going to class my spiritual health is depleted i'm not contributing back to my community so it did not at all feel like a whole man like 
having to rely on people. Sometimes, like I was on like a, one of those little like hover around scooters. Yeah. Sometimes it would die in the middle of the winter, like not be able to get up a hill at Penn State, which is like a mountainous. Like people having to push me to class and, and like just like not. So it got to the point where I'm not even going to class. I'm hitting the professors up like, look, I'm studying. Send me the PowerPoints. I'll ace the exam. And that's exactly what I did. I just aced exams, not didn't do any in-class assignments and, and barely squeaked by these couple of semesters that I was going through this. Um, and it, I, I was really about to just stop playing football, right? I still in the back of my mind knew I had that scholarship from Milton Hershey School. So if football didn't work out, I could still continue my degrees and, and finish out, right? So that was really a thought process. Like I, football has now taken away football. It's taken away school. It's taken away my spiritual health, my mental health. Like I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, cool, I'm, I'm cool on football. And I was about to, to hit him up like, look, I'm I'm done, and, and you know, honestly, like most people, probably would have been like, ah, you had a pretty bad injury. We get it, yeah, you know. I like, and and I remember calling back to Milton Hershey School, um, to Mrs. Ainsworth, and Mrs. Ainsworth was, is the the uh, director of spiritual programs at the school, um, and I was a Sunday school teacher in high school, so she was like my boss, mm-hmm. and she was also the wife, or is the wife of the athletic director at the school. So we had a great relationship, right? Not only on the spiritual level, but also in the athletic arena. Most of the kids at the school, their parents didn't have the means to come watch our games. Right. right? So someone like Mrs. Ainsworth was was very close to all of us. And right next to her was my mom, right? Mom always found a way to get to those games, right? So Mrs. Ainsworth was like my second mom. So I, I called her in this just time of, of despair, distraught, just didn't want to move forward. And as soon as she picked up the phone, I just broke down crying, right? Mm-hmm. Let it all out. Like, I, I'm a man of God. Like, why is this happening to me? I feel like I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I don't understand it. Like, I don't want to be here anymore. I feel like I don't have a support system. I'm by myself all the time. It's dark. It's cold. It's yeah. just, woe is me. I'm done, right? And she let me She let me get it out. And then at the end of it, she says one thing, right? Very, very simple thing. And it wasn't that I hadn't heard it before. She's like, listen, Gary. She's like, yeah, yes. She's like, listen. God gives the hardest battles to the strongest soldiers. And what you're currently going through actually has nothing to do with you. It'd be a testimony for the soldiers you lead one day. Absolutely. All right. This is above me and beyond me. (laughs) Let me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so, um, and it was, it was, it was tough, right? I'm talking, I had a pick line in, I had to inject myself with medication. Mm. They ended up prescribing me this pain pill called Dilaudid, which is like heroin pretty much. And, and I had three bottles of it, like taking a bunch of it so I could sleep because mm. I couldn't sleep at this point, which also was deteriorating my mental health. Like it was just not a good deal at all. Um, and then <laughs> aside from all the physical things going on, uh, this was also through, through the time any Penn State fans or anybody that watches college football, for that matter, would know what I'm about to talk about, was when Joe Paterno, who was our, our head football coach for 60 years, mm-hmm. uh, ended up getting fired for something that happened with one of his coaches over 10 years ago. And it all came out, was just a huge mess. They tried to destroy our football program, took scholarships, tried to give us the death penalty, oh, yeah. fired our coach. Like, it was wild. <laughs> like, crazy. And this was the same year that I was just coming back after being out now for two years. Right? I didn't end up getting my ACL repaired. I got hurt in October, didn't get the ACL repaired until May, and then tack on another nine months of recovery for the ACL. So I missed half my college football career right. because of this injury. Um, and the coaches that recruited me, 
the coaches who knew I, who I was and how I, I, I earned a starting spot just got fired. Yeah. So, just it was a lot of uncertainty. And then to to add a little bit more, you know, sweetener to it, the coach that was coming in, he's, he was the offensive coordinator for the Patriots through like their Super Bowl era. So like when when Tom Brady was just lighting up Gronkowski, mm-hmm. Gronkowski is a tight end. Same position that I was, right? So that position has an extreme focus with this new coach coming in. I haven't played in two years. I'm just coming off of a knee injury. I've got things in the back of my mind, like a conversation that I had with the doctor. Right. Calls me into his office. He's like, hey, Gary, let me talk to you. He's like, you know, I had a chance after this last surgery on your ACL to go in and check out everything. You got a lot of scar tissue that's developing in there. Your meniscus is pretty much raw. I it's probably one of the worst knee injuries attack on the, the complications that I've ever seen. I'm like, all right. Yeah. I mean, we, I get that. We've talked about this the last, you know, two years, hundred percent doc. He's like, well, I just, I gotta be honest with you. I'm like, what do you like? You know, he's like, your chances are really coming back. You know, like you used to play very, very, very small chance. I was like, well, like, you know, what does that mean? Give me a percentage doc. He's like, well, normally we don't give percentages. He's like, you know, but you're like a son to me. Um, you know, we've been through a lot, I feel like, together. So I, I will. He's like, you know, from all the things I've seen, different knee injuries, all the surgeries I've done, you know, I might give you about a 10% chance to really come back and play football at a high level again. Mm, what did that do for you? How did you feel at that moment? I perked up. I was I- like, Doc, 10%. I was like, you know where I'm from? The life that I've had before I, I'm standing before you, double majoring at Penn State University on a full scholarship, I went to Milton Hershey School which is only for kids below the poverty line, underserved individuals. And beyond that, my family for generations have never graduated from high school, let alone had a chance to go to a university. I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. They're not churning out things like this. So what do you think the chances of that happening were? I'll take 10%. Love it. (laughs) 10% is a lot, right? So took I took that and that that's what it carried me through rehab right I put my I put my head down and just realized like you know what my high school football coaches always told us you know like as much as you want to be 10 and 0 before you can get 10 and 0 you got to be 1 and 0 and before you can be 1 and 0 you got to win the play right now right so mm. one play at a time one day at a time just take it slow all right so that's what I did just and it was slow and, and long and monotonous and it hurt and it was it was horrible it was lonely right um but it really magnified this quote here right that a skilled sailor is not made on calm waters Mm. a skilled sailor is not made on calm water so through my life i've started to realize that all these adverse situations this resistance that i was getting was really helping me build my muscles up for different situations in the future as mrs ainsworth said you know so that was college um and then Right. On my pursuit to the NFL, my very last year in college, uh, I actually switched positions. I switched from tight end to offensive tackle. Um, I earned a starting spot back as a tight end for a year and then decided to switch. I had lost kind of a step. I felt like if I was really going to make it to the league, I needed to separate myself athletically as a tackle and not just be kind of a center of the pack tight end. Right. So I went to coach who I just won a starting spot for his, his main position as a tight end on his offense a leader of the team. And I'm like, look, I want to switch. I don't want to catch touchdowns anymore. I'm going to go bang my head against people, I guess. <laughs> so um, sat there for about an hour, you know, talked it out, you know, talked about the depth chart. I'm like, look, coach, the players behind me at tight end are phenomenal players like Jesse James and Kyle Carter and Adam Brennerman, all of which had chances and played in the NFL for a while, which was mm-hmm. 
to my point, they were, they were gonna be fine. So I switched positions, and then he he let me switch, and then I had to go from two sixty five as a tight end and get up to three hundred pounds. Um, so I did do that, and I did it in about three months. Because <laughs> <laughs> in order for me to stay about one sixty five, I was eating like grilled chicken salads and stuff like every day. You know, just trying to like keep my weight down. Actually, yeah. I didn't want to weigh too much. And then once that the, the switch happened. Well, I tell you, I was eating, eating, going yeah, in. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't the best weight either, like by any means. Um, so I ended up, got my, my position switched. Uh, I gained my weight. And my first opportunity to try and lock in the starting offensive tackle spot was in spring practice that, that year. Um, we went, went through meetings, had our first practice. I was rotating in with the ones, you know, feeling good. And then that, after practice, we had some conditioning. So, you know, we're doing our conditioning and, plant my leg to turn around and it felt like somebody kicked me in my leg Mm. same leg pop Mm. went to take a a step and my leg just buckled and i fell down and i'm like i know that wasn't my knee like i'm looking around like did somebody hit me or like what happened anyway it was not my knee (laughs) (laughs) i tore my calf muscle which was interesting still, you know, a kind of a, a nuance of an injury, you know, just a nuisance, I should say, a nuisance of an injury. Impossible. Um, <laughs> and so what happened was a four-week recovery for that injury, but spring practice was only four weeks too. Mm. So I missed that opportunity to get filmed, to, to you know, make my, make my case to be a starter. So now all I have was training camp, leading into what would end up being my very last year in college. Um and I've never played offensive tackle for, let alone a Division One football school that plays against Michigan, Ohio State, Iowa, like great teams, like big boy position in a big boy league. Uh, good luck. So, I, you know, I, I did what I what I could. You know, I was learning new position, handle business on the real. You know, ended up rotating in as a starter for most of the year. Um, and then Bill O'Brien pulls me aside after the season. He's like, "Hey, hey, Gary, um, you know, you're one of the leaders of this team." You stuck with us through, you know, all the, the thick and thin of Penn State. Um, and I feel like we have a great relationship. So I wanted to come to you first. You know, I, I got an opportunity to be a head coach in the NFL. And I was like, well, coach, I was like, Joe, Joe Pa was here for 60 some years and, and you've been here for two. I was like, you, you leaving? You're not going to stay for 60 years. He was like, no, nah, this was always a, you know, kind of a means to an end. And I've always wanted an opportunity to be a head coach in the NFL. And the Houston Texans are offering me that opportunity. I'm like, well, I have another year technically to play football at Penn State, but I'm finished all my degrees. My coach is leaving. I'm really not trying to go through another coaching switch. Right. I might as well take my shot, too. Like, all right, appreciate you, coach. Um, so I kind of, you know, mulled over the decision if I was going to leave or not leave and then finally declared, but declared late. So I did not get invited to the combine, which was which was a great opportunity to showcase your talent and skills among a bunch of NFL scouts right. and coaches. Um now all I have is one other chance to do exactly that, and that was our Penn State Pro Day, which um, was good because Penn State always put out a lot of NFL players, so all the scouts would all definitely come to our Pro Day. Um, and you can't, you're not just coming in to watch one player. You have to watch all the players if you're coming. Uh, so I knew that that was my opportunity. So I did probably – yeah, how's that? How's the quote go? If you want to be extraordinary, you gotta do a little extra. That's the difference between ordinary and extraordinary. Mm-hmm. A little extra, something like that. Anyway, um, there was a a fan that I had acquired, 
through that time when Penn State was was getting all the sanctions and they fired Joe Paterno and you know all the stuff was going on, I was actually the first player that came out before the sanctions had were even dropped. I think it might have been a couple days before, and I was like, look, no matter what happens, I'm staying at Penn State, right? And I tweeted that out, and somebody, you know, fans just responded. One fan who was a troll responded. He goes. Well, you know, that's cool and all, but what are you going to be doing when there's no football program? Mm. Right. And I responded back and I was like, well, I'll be finishing my multiple degrees, sir. I don't major in football. (laughs) So it went, it went viral. A bunch of people, you know, retweeted it and and responded to it. And I gained a bunch of fans. One of those fans is a former graduate of the school. Uh, Her name is Lisa Rado. A bunch of her family had gone to the school. She's, you know, a few years older than me. She's a nutritionist. Uh, so she had, you know, hit me up and she was like, hey, you know, I love who you are and what you're about. My family loves it. Um, you know, if you ever have any nutritional needs, you know, let me know. And I'd love to, to to assist any supplements you might need, you know, let me know. So I was like, all right, cool. So I kept that in mind. And then, you know, when I declared, declared for the NFL, I realized, you know, I need to separate myself. But I would love to stay here at Penn State to train. But when Bill O'Brien left, he also took the strength coaches with him. Mm. So, I'm like, oh dang. Um, I don't I guess I don't know what to do. So Lisa's like, look, I can send you meal plans and, and hope you stick to them and prepare the food that you're supposed to and hope you take your supplements and all that. She's like, but in reality, if you come out here to California, which is where she was at, out to California, um, I can get my hands on you, make sure you get with the proper doctors and trainers and everything will be good. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's cool and all, but like, I'm a, my family's broke. Like I'm a broke college kid. How, how do you expect me to fly across the country and pay for like all that stuff? My agents definitely aren't going to, they're small time agents. They're not looking to, you know, foot a bill or something like that for a guy who may or may not get drafted. You know, like she's like, no, it's like, I got you. She's like, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of your flight. You can live in my house for free. I'll prepare all your food and take care of everything. Like, a godsend. If it was not for Lisa Rado, I guarantee you, I would not have made it to the NFL. And here's why, right? And, the, and in the first three weeks that I was out there, she put me through a liver detox. We did blood panels, got me on the right supplements. I was drinking the proper water, working out two or three times a day, yoga, Pilates, workouts, conditioning, ice tubs, cryotherapy, like I'm talking like Rocky, Rocky <laughs> Four montage type stuff. Like, And within three weeks, I ended up losing 19 pounds of fat and gained 21 pounds of muscle muscle yeah wow in three weeks <laughs> so i hit my agent up i'm like yo uh we might need to you know what i'm saying figure out a way to compensate some trainers out here because i want to stay out here for the next four months like if i just did that in three weeks imagine what imagine yeah yeah so they were down with it they were like look your results speak for themselves well, what are we going to say like that's giving you your best opportunity to make it into the nfl so i stayed out there for four months with Lisa and her family and just put my head down and grinded it out three workouts a day, strict diet. Like it was wild. Um, but then I came back from my pro day. Lisa came back with me. She prepared a bunch of juices for me, like beet juices and cucumbers and celery. She was looking at, you know, what time of day I was doing different drills, you know, like bench press or 40 and which like beet juice would help vasodilate this. Right. So she was like giving me juices and things like, like on it. And um, get to my pro day and ended up putting up the top three, one, two, three in every athletic thing. Like jump, broad jump, 43 cone, like in my position across the country, top three. So coaches are like, what? Where, what happened? 
Who is this? Like, wait, who is this guy? Right. So because to college or excuse me, the NFL coaches, I'm only a junior. Right. I technically had another year left, but I left early. Right. And I declared late. So no one knew that I was even coming out or any of that. So they're like, wait, this kid's got some talent. But he, he oh, he's only been an offensive lineman for three months. You know, uh, we don't know if we want to pay him for this learning curve. He's about right. to go through, right? Um, but opened a lot of eyes. And one of the team's eyes that, that were open were the Seattle Seahawks. Like, they came back to Penn State to put me through a one-on-one workout. Like, you know, you did well in those drills, but we got some extra drills that we like to do to see what kind of player you are. Yeah. Right? So we're doing, you know, our, our traditional football drills, kick slides, punches, you know, everything. But while we're doing them, coach is asking questions. Like history questions and math questions, and like he's like, I want to see if you can if you can think and move, and I want to see if you can think and move while you're tired. Mm. So he's like, that's that's what's important to us, and it was right. That was something that the Seahawks really locked in on. Were not just these gritty players, but smart players, like these players that were kind of from the mud, had some tenacity, some adversity to them. You know, a little chip, little chip on their shoulder. That's the kind of players they look for. I like, oh, I like that. That's you know, it's kind of cool. So. Now that the pro day's done, the workouts are, are done, now it's up to the draft, right? Everything that I can do is out of my control. It's up to the football coaches. Right. <laughs> so um, the draft comes, and I'm pretty sure with that, the first round within, I think, the ten, first 10 or 15 picks, I think there were like three offensive tackles selected. Mm. And I'm looking at their 40s, their broad jumps, like all their things, and I'm like, bro, I'm, I'm better than every one of y'all. Like, I got better numbers on average than all y'all. Like, shoot, let me where my phone at. Like, I might be getting a call here soon, you know? So, anyway, first round goes, no call. (laughs) Second round goes, third round, fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, seventh (laughs) round. (laughs) And my phone rings. Seventh round, very last round of the NFL draft, my phone rings. But the team that's calling doesn't have any more picks. I'm like, yeah, what are you calling me for? Like, well, you're at the very top of our high priority free agents. We would love you to come into our training camp and our rookie mini camp, get our eyes on you, get our hands on you, really see what you can do. I'm like, yo, coach, the, the draft is still going on. Like, don't do not call me. Call me to draft me, right? And this is crazy because this ended up happening. I lie to you not. 31. Actually, let me not say. Let me say. Let me not say. He's not spoiled the prize surprise yet. So I'm holding on. I'm holding on to all the teams. Like, look, yo, like, don't call me unless you're drafting me because of this. The very last pick of the draft was by the Houston Texans. Guess who just became the head coach of the Houston Texans? My former head coach from Penn State. Okay. Come on. I'm definitely getting drafted. Come on, coach. Like, I'm your guy, right? So the seventh round's there. Last pick comes. Last pick goes. <laughs> Did not pick your boy, right? So now, it, now I'm a I'm an undrafted free agent. Um, and coming out of college, now I, I get to actually choose which team I want to go to their mini camp. Um, and it's kind of like being in college. So similar to college, how I had you know a standard you know right. list of things I was looking for. And the NFL is the same thing, right? One. Definitely needed an opportunity to get to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Like, you're gonna be playing at this level, you got to get to the top. So, like, I need a team that's got that championship yeah. mentality. One, two, I actually don't want to go to do a team that's saying that I can start right away. 
Like, that's actually not what I want to do, like, at all. Like, I want to learn. I want to grow. I don't want to go out there, get smoked, ruin my career, or get somebody hurt. Mm, you know, okay. like, I want to go somewhere I can learn learn from, from a couple of people. Um, and I also want a team that's got, like, a, a certain culture. Like, I don't just want, like, the big meatheads and all they want to do is, you know, win football games. But, like, show me the, the coaches that care for players a little right. bit more than okay. just football players, right? Um, so I actually chose to go to Seattle. Seattle had just won the Super Bowl. They had all pro tackles at my position, and they just drafted a guy in the, the second round, I think the fourth round and the seventh round at my position. <laughs> so, like, definitely didn't need me at all. Right. <laughs> Everybody in my family's like, yo, you're going to Seattle? Like, bro, what? You're not, you're not finna make that team? There's no way. Mom's looking at me like, Junior, like, that was the one team I told you not to go to. Like, I didn't <laughs> want you in Washington. That's where all the serial killers are at. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Like, well, mom, like I've been close to home my whole life. It's time to leave the nest yeah. and go become a Seahawk, right? So I went to Seattle and, and that just because I went to this rookie mini camp, I mean I'm making the team, right? I gotta make the team. And so like I said, they just won the Super Bowl. They got players out of my position and drafted players, so they don't need me like at all. At all. Um, but I put my head down and every little day, every single day, I pick one thing to get a little bit better on, right? Mm-hmm. One little thing. Cause this is one my another thing my high school football coach told me. Shout out to to Bob Geyer, got his Geyerisms. Here's one of them. He said every th- every day you have a choice, right? You either get better or you get worse. You'll mm-hmm. never stay the same. So choose to get better, even if it's just 0.1 percent a day. You're still better. So that's the mentality that I've had my entire life. And certainly in this moment for training camp and working my way through. And every day I came out before practice and worked on some things. Every day after practice, I stayed after with a coach and say, hey, what do you see through practice that I should work on right now? Right. So I showed him I was coachable, moldable, that I wanted to become a better player. Um, And through beating out 10 year vets and all pros and, and second round draft picks and everything, Little OG from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, that probably shouldn't have gone to Penn State, definitely shouldn't have graduated with three degrees, just made the Seattle Seahawks team. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was it was awesome. It was definitely a great feeling. Like, you know, you you, you made it, but right, right. bro, you're a bench warmer though. Like, you're not, you know, been play, right? What are you doing? So right. Was that the goal, right? If I'm understanding correctly, you wanted to go learn and stuff. You didn't want to play immediately, right? Exactly. 100%. 100%. So, and it was a perfect opportunity. I did not play offensive tackle. I was actually so far down the depth chart that it qualified me to be the big tight end. Okay. I have way more experience at tight end. I'm with that. So I'm doing motions and playing tight end and like running routes and things, but still as an offensive tackle. So it actually allowed me to get acclimated. It was a great, it was a great little position, little role that I had, right? No bigger role though than this game here. We had made it back to the playoffs. We had made it to the NFC championship game, right? The in the NFL, if you win the Super Bowl, can you repeat? Can you do it again? Right. So that, that's what everyone's looking at is can we do it again? Mm-hmm. We're in the NFC championship game, which is the game before the Super Bowl. So we win this game, we're in. We're playing the Packers, 2014 NFC Championship game in Seattle, Seattle Seahawks versus the Green Bay Packers. Third quarter, we're down 16 to nothing. Mm. About, which I know the time on the clock because I'm you know, I'm really in the numerology. Anyway, time on the clock was four minutes and 44 seconds. 
when I scored this touchdown. I just gave you the, the, the bit. But anyway, this is what happens. We get about cross half field, and this is about the, you know, the side of the field that I would come in more, whether it was short yardage or goal line. They would call the jumbo tight end to come in, and that was me. I was a bigger guy, go down there, block. That was kind of my role, and I loved it. Um, so I, I, toward that side of the field, I'm always right behind coach, you know, waiting to get subbed in, whether it's for that or for field goal. So we're getting down. I think it was like third and, and short or something or medium, and we we're going to – we missed it, so now we're going to kick a field goal. So coach turns around to me, and he's like, Gil, you ready? I'm like, yeah, field goal, always, always ready for field goal, coach. He's like, no, 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 no. Charlie Brown. Yo, you heard him? Charlie Brown? No way. This is what Charlie Brown was. Right? Charlie Brown was actually a fake, a fake field goal play. Every week we had actually had fake plays in, whether it was on punt or kickoff return or field goal. Like we had, you know, a little draw for our Uno, a little, little deuce. Uh, we're going to get you if you're not paying attention. Now, this is the game before the Super Bowl. Mm. The play that, that's teed up can actually come to me, who I'm a rookie and an offensive lineman who shouldn't be catching passes, right? Um, and to make matters worse, the one day that we practice this fake play is the day before the game. Right. And kind of like a walkthrough setting. And and we have, like I said, we had these plays in all year. So now this is like, you know, play or game like 18 or 19 because we're in the playoffs and we've never called it. So I'm not taking it seriously, especially not for this one. So we called the play in practice. I ended up running the wrong route. Oh, gosh. And then when the ball was thrown to me, I dropped it. <laughs> so I'm like, there's no way they're calling Charlie Brown. So when he looked at me and was like, Charlie Brown. I was like, all right, let's go. So it was called Charlie Brown um, because the, the the holder, as he's holding the ball and the kicker goes to kick it, he pulls it up, right? Like mm-hmm. happens to Charlie Brown, right? And he pulls it up and then he rolls out and he can try and run for the first down or he can pass the ball to one of his receivers, right? So now just because the play was called didn't mean it could go to me. It actually could go the other complete opposite side of the field, depending on how that that – that third down play went. I think Doug Baldwin ended up running the ball kind of random and ended up running to the, the correct hash for, for it to come to me. Now the defense also had to be lined up the proper way, but they had to be in there in their field goal block, which means they were rushing really hard and not too concerned about somebody running out for a pass. So they were lined up in that way. So I'm looking like, all right, this is all my, my hash. The defense is lined up properly. Like, all right, let's go. So the third thing that had to happen for the ball to get thrown to me was the linebacker who has me one-on-one has to decide between either sticking me, covering me, or going after the guy who's running with the ball. Yeah. Right? So he ball gets snapped. I do my thing. I release. And I'm looking straight at the, at the linebacker like I'm trying to come block him. Like I'm, I wear number 79. I'm an offensive lineman. He doesn't think I'm running for a pass. So I saw, I saw a little bit. Like I got really looked at him in the eyes like, yeah, I'm coming. <laughs> and he looked at me. And then looked and saw John Ryan running with the ball and took off toward John Ryan. So I'm like, oh, gotcha. <laughs> you know, I do my run, do my route. Then I hit my stem and then look up for the ball. And John Ryan is not a quarterback, right? He's a punter. So he he throws the ball late, ends up throwing it, though. A little gallop step. Looked yeah. it in, tucked it away, scored the touchdown, and the stadium went crazy. 
crazy, <laughs> wild, right? So it was funny because my offensive lineman, first of all, we never score touchdowns as offensive linemen. Very rarely do we score. So when we do score, like the touchdown dance, we got to do, got to be something serious. I'm talking, you got to get the electric slide, like get the whole, get the whole line involved with it. So they're like, gee, what you going to do? What you going to do? I'm like, ah, I was always more cerebral about it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't one, I'm going to act like I've been here before, which I have. But then I'm also, yeah, I'm going to shoot a little dagger. I'm going to be intentional here. So I had always scouted who, like, their top player was on the team we were playing in case I ever scored a touchdown in one of these fake plays. Right. No different than this one, playing the Packers. So who's their top player? Aaron Rodgers, right? And, and what's his touchdown dance? Right. He always does his little championship belt, discount double check, right? So I scored my touchdown, and I hit him with a discount Did double you check. Did <laughs> But to make it even better, right, John Ryan, right, the guy who threw me the pass, he actually used to play for the Packers and was cut on some, I don't know, some weird back office mm-hmm. stuff, front office stuff. So kind of had some animosity toward him. So we never talked about what we were going to do. Right? I scored my touchdown, hit the discount, double check. John Ryan throws the ball to me, sees I score, turns to their sideline, and does the same thing. <laughs> wow. But, like, all right, it's 13 – or excuse me, it's the third quarter. We're down 16 to six. I think yeah. we kicked our field goal and made it seven. Not really four minutes left in the in the third quarter. Not somewhere you really want to be versus the Packers in mm-hmm. the NFC Championship game, right? So, like, cool, you scored a touchdown, bro, but, like, you got to win this game. Like, it. like, and it's, it's not looking good. So, anyway, long story short, the game ended up being one of the greatest comebacks in NFL playoff history. Not because of the, the deficit of score that we came up with, but the way we did it. Right. With this fake field goal one, mm-hmm. we ended up having a two point conversion at some point. We had an onside kick recovery when literally the entire country knew we were kicking an onside kick, which never happened. Got it back, converted third and longs and fourth and longs just to get us to go to overtime. Mm. In overtime, we win the coin toss, which is significant because whoever scores first in the NFL wins. So we win this coin toss, get the ball. I'm almost certain it's like third, third and long. And the Green Bay is bringing everybody, right? They're bringing the house on a blitz. I'm on the sideline, right? I'm not in the game at this point. I'm watching. <laughs> I did, did what I had to do. I'm feeling good. Right? I scored my touchdown. Like, this is just kick field goals if we need to. But anyway, um, third and long, overtime, they're bringing a zero blitz, right? So Russ, look, he, he steps out from under center. He looks, and he just he does a check, right? He checks Cobra, which was a check for all goes. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're gonna sting you. Like we're gonna bite you. You think you're getting us? Nah, we're getting you. So that made all receivers just go all go, right? All straight down the field. Right. Russ drops back, right? Does what he does, dodges a little bit, and then boom, chucks it up to Jermaine Curse, which is significant because during the reg during the game, right? During the, the regular time, Russell has targeted Jermaine, I think, four times. And the ball has gone right off of Jermaine's hands and then gotten intercepted mm. four times, <laughs> right? So Russ is it, still hold, like we had this. We had this mantra. It's called hold fast. Like like if you're ever on a boat, you know, out and there's a storm, you don't hang on to the things that come and go, right? You find the mast, the thing that's been there for a while, right? You hold fast to those things, and that's how you get through the storm. Mm-hmm. That was always our mentality. Like, we're going to stay consistent, have integrity with who have been here, and we're going to ride together. So regardless of the four interceptions, my man checks Cobra, comes back, and throws it to Jermaine Curse, who actually is covered, like white on rice, like covered, covered. The guy is draped over him like a backpack. Jermaine, over the shoulder, catches it in the end zone, 
touchdown Seahawks going back to the Super Bowl. Okay. Wow. You made it to Super Bowl. Wild. Crazy, 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 crazy game. Um, Then we go on to the Super Bowl, which was also a crazy game. It was a game when it was the Seahawks versus the Patriots, and we didn't hand the ball off to Marshawn Lynch on the one-yard line. Mm. It was that Super Bowl where we lost, <laughs> which which made the, the game that I caught the touchdown even more significant. Um, I actually had the – you might be able to see it. I have the football and the yeah. ring from the game. It's up there. Um, so, you know, pretty pretty cool. And we won it. It was, it was great. And then went and lost the Super Bowl. Definitely the most exciting football story I have. This whole this whole thing it had me like just what happened next and what happened next. I love it. <laughs> so um, you to the Super Bowl your rookie year. Rookie year. Okay. okay. And um, so then after that, continued to play for the Seahawks for a few years. Ended up earning a starting spot actually after that very first year. That next year, earned a starting spot as an offensive tackle. Um, played there for a few years. Then actually earned a couple more um contracts with the 49ers where I then went to play after. Um, and then I started the bridge. <laughs> yeah, so, tell us about the bridge, the so Eagle Reach. Right. What 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 is what is the bridge? Right. What 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 are you, what are we what are we even here for? I'm done hearing about you, Gary. Tell me about the bridge. No, no, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Now, so what the bridge really is, is Instead of going back to my community and Mm -hmm. holding the Gary Gilliam football camp, uh, realizing that all 300 of those kids really have no chance of making it to the NFL. Mm -hmm. And this is really perpetuating this cultural indoctrination that as a young black boy, the only way you're going to feed your family is with athletics, entertainment, right? Being a rapper or selling drugs. Yeah. Well, selling drugs gets you locked up or killed. Most rappers really don't have that much money, in all honesty. And 88% of NFL players are bankrupt within just two years of playing. So now, not only young 300 kids coming to this football camp thinking that because they touched Gary's hand, not only do you not have a very high chance of making it to the NFL, but then you have a very high chance of losing almost all your money. I feel like we could do something else. I feel like with the platform that an athlete has, the social capital that each of us have, we can do something a bit more significant right. than just a football camp, right? What about, you know, a, a, a STEM camp or a, a financial wellness seminar, right? Or, or something along along those lines, right? So that was always, you know, kind of something that I wanted to do. I was the guy in the hot tub when, when you know, we're stretching, guys got their headphones on, you know, they're scrolling through Instagram, you know, looking at, God knows what. Um, I'm a guy hitting him like, hey, bro, hey, yo, what, what's the last new thing you learned not related to football? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, what? Like, just give me, just give me one thing, right? Just please, one thing. Um, and they would always just, you know, not come up with something or make an excuse or just like, bro, you're on some random stuff, or you know, they just or which this is where it would always kind of lead. Cause I would always ask, like, let's do something. You want to go, you know, you want to go back home and do something beyond the football camp, like a financial literacy camp. And they would say, well, you know, we or I, I have a financial advisor who who actually they budget all my money for me, and then they just send me a check for my disposable income. That's my fun money. That's the check I get. Everything else is managed by other people. And I'm like, bro, 
you do know that 88% of us are bankrupt within just two years of playing, right? You don't think that all those other players had financial advisors and people helping them with things. They're probably the ones possibly taking advantage of them. Like <laughs> you might want to educate yourself. I don't know, maybe a little bit, like at least enough. That you know. At least, right, at least enough to know and maybe a little more so you can go home and talk to some other people about it. Everyone's got financial wellness things that they got, you know, budgeting and investing. And, and if you've got access to some resources and knowledge, bro, bring it back to your hometown. Like you maybe not have to talk about it, but that don't mean you can't hold a camp with, with panel speakers that are talking about financial literacy. Right. So, so as we would have these conversations in the hot tub, right, the culture would kind of start to change a little bit. Guys are seeing in the locker room, like, Hey, yo, gee, you getting a hot tub yet? Like, I got something for you. I learned something. Yeah. I, I want to share it with you. I'm like, yeah, okay. So this shows, okay, you may not have been raised the same way I was, right? right. At State and at Milton Hershey School, but we just got to have conversations because you have the same interest and the same want and desire to go back to your community and do something grand. Right. You may just not know how. Hmm. Okay, good to know. So in my quote-unquote transition out of being a football player, which there was never a transition because my whole life I was a football player and a scholar and this and right, it was always – concurrent there was never a backup plan never a plan b it was always a, i'm gonna grow and be great in all things that I in do, all things. Right? so one thing at, at penn state that we learned was we're identify a point at my business school identify a point of pain and solve it right with a product a good or a service and you'll be a pretty wealthy individual so that's how i kind of moved through college and through my professional career was identifying points of pain and then i would write up entire business plans about how to really solve that point yeah. of pain. Okay. um and i had those right and i had and they were all kind of different and then as i'm looking at them i'm like yo these things kind of have like a common denominator to them like they're really about helping people right huh okay so i i think um i finished playing with the 49ers i want to say it was february of 2019 mm -hmm. um and then March 31st of 2019, uh, Nipsey Hussle was assassinated. Mm -hmm. And this is extremely significant because of what Nipsey was doing for his community. Right? He, he was creating a pipeline between the inner city and Silicon Valley through his co-working space, Vector 90. Right? Mm -hmm. I, I love that. That was, that. that was major to me. He was acquiring commercial real estate and creating mixed-use developments within his hood for his community right? and preaching ownership and, and showing the, the blueprint on how to get there, right? He had the blueprint even within his music, right? And then he was shot and killed, unfortunately, in front of one of the properties that he owned. So it's just yeah. a tragic thing. So as I'm, as I'm watching this go down and I'm learning more about Nip and what he was doing, especially what he was doing for his community, it really just sparked something to me. Like, Nipsey is a great man, a great individual, but even himself, he had to grow up in, in the gang life and on the streets. And he didn't have an opportunity to go to Milton Hershey or Penn State and get the education, go to the NFL and make money like you have, Gary. Like, what are you doing for your community? Mm. What are you doing? Right. So that question, what are you doing? Two, right back to some of those original questions from Milton Hershey School of why aren't there more of these campuses? Right. And where, why aren't more corporations investing in their communities right. in a substantial way? with infrastructure, intentional infrastructure. Just like my former teammate, Marshawn Lynch would always say like, hey bro, let's stop talking about it. Go be about it, right? You about that action, right? Go be about that action, boss. So that's, that's what happened. So 
points of pain, bunch of different business plans eventually all came into one ish. Right, and that ended up being the bridge. So what the bridge is is a, a for-purpose real estate development company that acquires properties like schools, malls, warehouses, and then we convert them into what we call an eco village. Right. So this is essentially an adaptive reuse, value add, commercial mixed use development that has spaces for the community to work, eat, live, learn, and play. So those work spaces, that's co-working spaces, maker spaces, really the zone for entrepreneurs to come, create businesses, work together, and then go to the to the market with them. That's the workspace. Eat, work, eat. Eat is looking to convert food deserts into food oases. Right? And how do we do that? We got to grow food. We got to grow food in, in the inner city, but there's not a lot of land. So how do we do that? Right. Ag tech, right? Agri agricultural technologies like hydroponics and aeroponics and aquaculture allows us to grow fish and food within fully controlled environments. And on one third of an acre, for example, it allows you to produce enough food to actually feed 100,000 people. Wild, right? So that's the eat branch is growing food. Also got restaurants and retail on site too. So work, eat, live is housing. Right. This is actually low-income housing and market rate housing. Right? It's not just enough to cram a bunch of low-income individuals into one space and then not provide programmatic activities for them. Right? But then it's also not enough to just provide those programmatic activities in places where it seems most financially feasible, mm -hmm. right? in the most affluent neighborhoods, because they're not the ones that need those programs. Right? So it needs to be a mesh of these two housing structures because it creates a village. Right? It also right. creates a synergy, right? We're better together than we are. Yeah. Yeah, right. So work, eat, live, learn. I'll, I'll come back to learn because learn is the foundation for everything mm -hmm. else within the bridge. Work, eat, live, learn, play, right? Instead of complaining about the dirt bikes, the ATVs, the drug dealing, the guns, we need to provide outlets for our communities. Absolutely. Right? The, the youth and the adults alike, right? In Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and this is very similar to any other inner cities, you're not finding things like rock climbing walls, access to nature, batting cages, uh, virtual reality, uh, go-karts, right? But you can leave 15, 20, 30 minutes outside those cities and you're finding them. Your adventure mm -hmm. sports and your sports emporiums, right? Yep. But the people who need the outlets the most, right? The people who live in the most traumatic environments, who are watching their family members sell themselves, sell drugs, be shot and killed daily, don't have an outlet for those things, right? So what our development company does, right, is it acquires these old schools that are strategically located for individuals that we're targeting, converting them into these mixed-use developments that have spaces to work, eat, live, learn, and play. Now, back to learn. It's not just enough to build these physical spaces, mm -hmm. but, but what are you doing to change the culture? Mm -hmm. What are you doing on a, on a programmatic level to promote self-sufficiency? Right. So this is what our nonprofit does, is it partners with other nonprofits, universities, educational institutions, political powerhouses, corporations to bring in the programmatic activities and the curriculums that go on within the spaces. So, for example, within the workspace, not just enough to create co-working spaces and maker spaces, but through partnerships with Harrisburg University, and their Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship mm -hmm. helps us establish the incubation and acceleration programs for said entrepreneurs within these environments. 
right? So the point of pain, I open it up a bit. The point of pain for our work branch mm-hmm. is actually within the corporate workplace sector or industry. And one of those key impact measures is executive roles held in business, right? So in Harrisburg, which is in Dolphin County, the mm-hmm. top 50 companies in Dolphin County, not one has a black CEO, but Harrisburg is a majority black city. Wow. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> that sounds like a disparity, a gap, if you will, that needs a bridge. Right. Ah. Corporate workplace. We can also look at health and wellness, right, within the EAT branch, obesity levels and mm. asthma and these pre-existing health conditions, access to health care, right? All those things are within health and wellness. And there, again, we find disparities, extreme disparities, like not a gap, but like a tide. Right. Our tagline, span the tide. So work, eat, live, learn, play, learn, providing the educational programming, right? Learn to work, learn to eat, learn to live, learn and learn to play. Learn to play is a very important one too. That's the correlation between mental health, physical health and normalizing therapy. Absolutely. Like, yo, we've been through some traumatic things. Like, bro, you got to talk to somebody. You got to talk to somebody. Yes. You got to talk to somebody, my guy. You feel me? Like, and let's get this out. Let's figure it out. Let's do that, that, that inner work, that self work. So then we can fill our community cup up once our cup is filled up. Mm. So that is what the bridge is doing and and what it what we realize with our disparity studies and not just Harrisburg but across the nation is that each of these problems are actually connected right they're they're kind of a holistic system of issues this system we identify as as systemic oppression right? Right? there there are things laws policies situations that were set up to keep certain people down right women Black individuals, indigenous individuals, right? Poor white people, right? There, there's things that were put in place to keep a certain socioeconomic status in a level, right? So that system is in place and it's kind of in the, in the background of America just kind of churning. And you know, even a bunch of different global economies too, but specifically to America, it, it's here. We see it and we feel it. But the only way to really combat a system is with another system. Right. Right, right. So that's what the bridge is actually doing is it's creating these spaces in the culture to establish a system within a community that we deem as systemic empowerment Mm. that not just combats, but strategically dismantles systemic oppression. This is powerful. A little bit more than a football camp, I'll tell you. Absolutely. Way much more. (laughs) This is very powerful. So that's what we're doing. Main campus is there in Harrisburg. Um, and we're in the process of working with other athletes and entertainers to replicate the model in their town, in their city. Um, just literally earlier today, I got off of a call. Um, they're like impact investment funds that are putting together literally billions of dollars to invest in minority developers that are doing exactly what the bridge is doing. Um, so like there's never been a time in history to one come up with something like this, not yeah. not born out of the issues of 2020, right? What 2020 did, if because we started it back in 1909, the bridge, right? Let's say we're building an ark, and people are like, dude, what you building that ark for? Like, it's, there's been a drought for like 50 years. Like, mm-hmm. you don't need to build an ark. I'm like, we're like, nah, like there's floods going on, like us. So then 2020 happens, and it really magnified just four global crises, right? Mm-hmm. Our racial crises ongoing. We had a, a which. The, the racial crisis was like going back to like 1865, 
like dang near back to 7076. Like people was talking about founding own countries and seceding and civil wars. Like it was like, whoa, that was one. Two, we had a, a global pandemic, right? Like we we're back in like 1912 with the Spanish flu or something. Like yeah. back in time again. Number three, our economy went just to nothing, right? Like almost a great depression. Like we were back in the 1930s again. And then our ongoing and ever growing environmental crises was on front stage, front and center, right? So these four things now magnified the disparities that we provided solutions for. Right. Hmm. Work, eat, live, learn, play, eco-village, equality, sustainable food, workforce development, self-sufficiency, So what that did then was municipalities, investors, developers, property owners from across the nation and the world. The president of Nigeria reached out to us with properties for us to to initiate this exact model in their towns, cities, and their properties. Right. Like, so, again, there's never been really a time in history with something that could have been formed like this and then have so much access to capital to make it scale and multiply to help people the way it's supposed to. This give you chills. Can you imagine how this is going to in the future? You know, like when this is really just it's going, it's up and running. This is like so powerful. This is amazing. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, so uh, we we start or break ground on, well, I haven't break ground, we already broke ground. Our next phase of construction starts in the spring, um, which is the heavy construction on our main campus there in Harrisburg. But all the while we are in the process of doing pre-development work with other municipalities across the country. Uh, I can't speak on them specifically, right. but it's, it's, it's very rewarding, you know, and, and every day I get inspired with some of the conversations that I have. Um, people, what, what, really, what really keeps me going is the amount of hope that people get Right. Like you see that they're like people see these these racial issues and or the environmental issues or just like big global issues. And, and they're like, what can I do as an individual? It's a lot. Right. And how could you possibly do something? Right. So people get anxiety or they just ignore it all, all together and think that, you know, I can't do anything. Well, yeah. you can't. Right? Like, like we really can. Like each of us, like if you if you realize like on a spiritual level, on a science level, whatever, whatever it is, if you realize that you as an individual, as a human, your perspective is extremely needed because of this. We are all physical perspectives mm-hmm. of the same consciousness. So in order for us to solve the most complex issues we have as a, as a species, we need to work together. We need different viewpoints of the same problem to provide the solutions for those things. And the only way we can do that is by being inclusive in our developments, right? To bring people to the table, because remember, talent is evenly distributed, but resources and opportunity are not. Yes. Wow. This whole segment was amazing. Like I'm, I'm kind of lost for words. I'm going to be honest with you because all this greatness that's coming about, you know, all this coming together to help each other. And, you know, like you say, to, to work, eat, live, learn, play, like all this is just, you know, it's just, I don't know. It does something to me because like I mentioned before, you know, my platform, it may not be 
But for the ones that do listen or, you know, the one or two people that do get inspired by each individual story, it does something to me that, to know that, okay, Freema, you were able to make a difference in at least one person's life tonight. And I know by God, by people hearing your story tonight, it had me on edge. So I know. And just from what I'm going through personally with my son, where he feels like it may be the end of the road, you know, because of his injury, just hearing your story gave me the like, okay, we can do this. I'm back motivated. We're going to get through this and we're going to keep it going. So I appreciate you more than you know. I enjoyed this tonight. I really do. I really, really did. Yeah. No, I definitely you. have to follow up, you know, with what's going on, the second phase and all this good stuff. This was great. I appreciate this. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I enjoyed it as well. I enjoyed it as well. Um, you know, is there anything else out there that you would like to put in a universe that we didn't speak about? What would you tell the little um, Gary's out there that maybe kind of need the motivation. I always ask, you know, the guests that come on, what motivational words can you give someone that may be scared to take that dive? Or like I mentioned, my son who has this major injury and can't play football now, what would you tell them? What would you tell these individuals to, to keep them going and motivated? Yeah, I'm a lean in heavy on, on one of the quotes I said, and that's a skilled sailor is not made on calm waters. And what that really means is that as odd as it sounds like when there, when you have fear or, or when you see something that is, that is adversity or, or something that you're struggling to go through, like hit it head on. Like that is, that is God, the universe, whatever you want to believe in, that is an opportunity for you to grow and to get better. Right. That vulnerability that you're feeling in this moment will be the same thing that is the catalyst for your growth, right? So I always tell people, especially within the inner city, especially kids that have gone to Milton Hershey School, because I know what qualified you to go to that school. I tell them all the time, like, look, you getting through what you're getting through, one with your family, this school is an extremely hard school to go to. It is preparing us to be extremely successful beyond just the education we're getting, but our EQ, right, our, our emotional intelligence is bar none because of the experiences that we've had here. The experiences that you've had in your life allows you to develop into who you need to be, right? right? So as long as you trust that, and every day you just keep that little bit in mind, and every day you may not get better, that's, a, that's all right. But as long as you have the intention to get better, you got up in the morning and you knew that you had an opportunity. That's what really matters, right? Keep that hope and, and remember that the adversity is what makes you stronger, right? That's the extra, the extra weights on, on the barbell when you're lifting weights, right? That's life letting you know that you got some hard battles coming up in the future and we need you to be strong enough for it. Mm. So take yeah. that, right? Have honor in that. Take that anointing and, 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 and go forward with it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I'm just ask you to stay on a few moments after, um, if you don't mind. Viewers, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Make sure you guys share this so people can hear this. This is some great, great. He gave us some good knowledge, feedback, motivational words. He shared his journey with us, and it was great. So make sure you guys share. Tune in. Again, Gary, thank you so much. And as we always say on Let's Sip and Talk with Frema, peace and love.